cliffcentral.com. Okay, it's almost half past seven, and our guest for this morning in Meet the Mind is Polly van Veek, is someone that we have had on the show before. She's a very brave journalist. She's done some amazing stuff in the last while, and um, everybody is talking about her. So we thought we'd get to meet her this morning. Meet the Mind, season one, episode five, and coming up, Polly van Veek. Henley Business School's Africa Connect alumni platform was launched in November 2019, and the opening event brought together some of the school's most prominent students and graduates. Poli van Veek is an author and journalist for one of South Africa's most progressive publications, The Daily Maverick. As someone whose livelihood depends on the right knowledge at the right time, she understands the importance of education and qualification. We asked her if a person could be overqualified, though. No, most definitely not. Information will always be your friend. Um, a, a degree, not necessarily so much, but uh, the more information and the better you understand the world that you live in and to better yourself as part of that and to better South Africa as part of that. And you cannot live in this country and move from where we are to a place where we want to be, not bettering yourself. This is Meet the Mind, the series that gives you insight into some of South Africa's most interesting thinkers, brought to you by Henley Business School. That's right. Well, a day in the life of Poli van Veek is anything but dull. It can range from helping to break Gupta leaks, finding out what happened to the VBS millions, and now even working towards her MBA at Henley Business School. She has a huge amount on the go, and for us to find out about her, we're glad she's able to pop in for this installment of Meet the Mind. How are you, Poli? Nice to see you. Good morning. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, you're looking alive and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and full of uh, <laughs> full of the joys of happy happy summer. But I know that you've had a pretty tough couple of months. I mean, you've yeah. had to be very careful about your personal safety. You've had threats from people that you've been investigating as a journalist. This has not been the easiest year for you, has it? No, it's been an amazing year and a great year and mm. an impactful year, but it hasn't been easy. So just how exactly are things at the moment in terms of, of, of your day-to-day life? Is it hard to kind of figure out what you're doing? Do you have to keep changing your plans? Are you concerned constantly about your safety? Do you still get as many threats from people? Because what you've done is you've revealed in some of your investigations that there are people who are stealing money from old people, uh, mm-hmm. robbing banks basically on, on a grand scale, and these people are, there, are instead of just um, letting investigations carry on and 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 truths come out and and uh, things be discovered that need to be discovered, and you doing your job without fear or favor, yeah. these people decide that um, if they can just shut you up, their lives will be easier. And and they've tried all kinds of nefarious ways to do this. How does it feel at the moment, and what are you doing about it? Yeah, exactly. It was quite a hectic end towards the year and, and we had to move around every week. So there was a space in six months where I was sort of at a different place every week. Um, especially to, to tell your parents, you know, I'm fine. Don't worry. <laughs> so they were hectically, um, uh, worried about me. Um, fortunately I have the backup and I have the fantastic editor who, who helps and, and protects and They're shields. They're talking about, about Branko, Branko at, the, at the Daily Maverick. Maverick, yes. Yeah. So, um, 
fortunately, the, the, the very high pressure um, and volatile situation changed a bit towards it sort of fizzled out over Christmas and New Year. But I guess it will start again once we start Rewriting, you know, because there's so much left to tell. Mm. People tell us, you know, the VBS story should be left alone. Who's telling you that? Besides the EFF themselves. I mean, who's telling you to? Why would people want to bury a story that's so important? These are supposedly the saviors of the poor. The EFF are the, they're trying to position themselves as being the the people who care about Mm. ordinary South Africans and particularly disenfranchised black South Africans who've been victimized by all the systems that came before and the current system, frankly. And yet these are the people stealing from the poor. Mm, Exactly. So, um, Certain political parties like the ANC and the EFF doesn't, they don't like it when you tell them that they've been corrupt and that you shine a spotlight on what they've done, especially not, as you said, when they campaigned on a ticket of anti-corruption. Um, and the EFF was a savior for, for, uh, or positioned themselves as the savior for quite some time. And they turn out to be just hypocrites. Yeah, well, um, I mean, that's VBS. clearly. So as I, as I understand it, and we're not going to go into too much detail here because I didn't bring you here to talk about this story. But VBS has been pillaged. They've had over a period of a couple of months, they had all of their money that was put in by hardworking people, not necessarily well-off people, people whose pensions were were put in there, people who had saved. And Uh, orphans and mine workers' children. Right. And that money was just stolen. Mm-hmm. And used to fund Floyd's brother's thing and Julius's this and all kinds of hideous things. Yeah, and the ANC's campaign um, yeah. funding, you know. and But this VBS story is the perfect example of how uh, corporate South Africa and the political parties started working together and how there's actually no real party lines here, especially in the provinces. You'll see how um, ANC and EFF aligned people will work together with business and with the um, sort of the, the bank managers in order to fleece money from the bank. And you see that repeating in different stories. So the VBA story is easy to prove because there's a fantastic money trail, but it also shows us that there's a lot more and that, um, that the thing that it's only an EFF situation or only an ANC problem, it's not true. It's, mm-hmm. there's a deeper problem in South Africa where we think that now that we're in power, we can disenfranchise the people that's already vulnerable. Mm. And that story needs to be told and well, needs go, to be go highlighted. Go after the weak people because they can't do anything about it. They can't fight back, right? No, so then no. they have some people fighting for them. Um, no. And then the pressure was just purely to make you stop. Now, in between all of this crazy stuff, which is part of your job that you've been used to for years, um, you decided to do an MBA. Yeah, <laughs> feels like I mean, the worst life choice in the world. You're, 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 taking, you're taking on quite a lot of work. <laughs> you don't yeah. mind my saying this. Maybe you're a, a sucker for punishment. <laughs> yes, friend of mine the other day told me, I'm, "I don't really, I don't really feel sorry for you. You brought it on yourself." <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, what what made you make this decision? I don't have a financial background. So everything that I know and and the way that I conduct my financial investigations are sort of self-taught. But as you know, then when you you teach yourself things, there are gaps. And I always wanted to do an MBA and I always wanted to broaden my knowledge base. So I always thought um, like a financial, broader financial degree would help a lot with what I'm doing at the moment. Um, A and B – 
journalism and media uh, in in the broader uh, mention of the word is in trouble. Um, our yeah. finances are, are um, depleted. Uh, our funding is uh, decreasing. Yeah. So there's a lot that um, a business mind can attribute to someone who already understands the industry very well. So in other words, you, you're sharpening your skills and at the same time you want to learn about how business works, not just so you can be a better journalist, but so, so that you can see other opportunities yeah, and perhaps exactly. exploit those where necessary. But it also, yeah, it also gives you confidence because, you know, I, I've, I'm self-taught in my industry. There wasn't a degree for what I do when I was at Varsity. And so everything that I've had to learn in my business has been self-taught and it does leave you a little bit lacking in self-confidence. Mm. Am I doing the right thing? Is this how it's really done? Mm. And and so I go on courses feel a bit of within that, my that field. Imposter syndrome. Yes. Sometimes you're like, "What the hell exactly am I doing?" Exactly that. Yeah. So you go on courses and you do them, and you realize that you actually might even know more mm. than you than they do, or that you thought. And it's such a huge confidence booster. Well, that is indeed so, yeah. You are the inaugural winner of the brand new Salt Plaiki Scholarship for Media Professionals alongside Tabiso Tagali, who's the news editor of the Sowetan. Um, and these scholarships were established to honor South Africa's journalists, uh, journalism practitioners rather, by giving current media practitioners a once in a lifetime opportunity to step out of the newsroom or studio and into the classroom and hopefully emerge with some extra tools, which is what you were saying to recalibrate the media industry when they graduate. And the media industry does need some help. I mean, there are very mm, poor journalists yes. out there too who are applying their trade at a minimum wage because it's something that they fell into or it was something that they studied at university hoping they'd get some meaningful work to do and have ended up being, you know, gossip journalists at some mm. rag of a newspaper that's running out of money. Um, what What you're talking about is taking things to a – to a level that's above, obviously, rather than dropping down to that level. And, I mean, the work that you've been doing up to now is is obviously the kind of stuff that we want to see more of in South Africa. There's plenty to be investigated. Very much so. Um, and good journalism is very expensive. So I, as I'm sitting here, I haven't written or published anything since the start of 2020. I mean, that's how expensive I am. Because you, when you're an investigative journalist, the focus is on... Um, on on news that you can prove, um, and that's new, and that Why you are you can so actually bloody expensive, Polly? <laughs> <laughs> that you can actually back up in a court, sure, right? But and those in other aren't. Words, there's a lot of forensic work that takes yes. place. Sometimes you have to find lawyers, you have to find accountants, you have to find other specialists who can corroborate yeah. the evidence that you've discovered and prove. That's yeah. the that's the heaviest burden to actually say that I can tell you that you're corrupt and you're corrupt in this way and this is money laundering that you've just this whole series of payments. Um, and that's the problem here is that we have these day-to-day journalists like there's an accident here or there was a murder there. But journalism is when you really want to do it exceptionally well, it's expensive. And that is there's a dis- disjointed uh, um, problem where we don't have the funding and where people don't understand that journalism is expensive. Um, and firstly, we have to try and tell them that and show them that but we also have to get a business model that sort of fixes that problem and that can work with that problem well and now now that you are such an expensive investigative journalist <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, your words no I th- but i think this is great i don't I'm, i mean i'm teasing you but at the same time it's terrific that there are people who have the kind of qualifications and capabilities that you do that means that we can discover 
interesting things about politicians and business people and you know all kinds of other nefarious characters in South African society. The reality is, like, you didn't start off wanting to do this. You actually wanted to be a travel writer. <laughs> yes. That would have been a lot safer, Polly. <laughs> and easier. I yeah, mean, you wouldn't have to be good hiding, life choices. <laughs> hiding from death threats, really. Um, you could have yeah. been an expensive travel writer. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it all change? How, tell me about this, this career trajectory. Yeah, I could have written 30 stories in a month and yeah. as opposed to zero. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to go and work for VACH or GO, the travel magazine. Mm. And um, my goal at the time was I want to be exceptionally good at what I do. Um, which it still is, but it changed in the meantime because someone then at, at Wach and Go told me, if you really want to be good, you need to go and get some experience as a reporter, as okay. a day-to-day reporter so that you know um, the who, what, where, and when of news because then you're a good writer. Because you think when you're out of university, you're a fantastic writer. You're not. You're <laughs> shitty. <laughs> yeah. So you need right. to get that experience sure. and, and under work, under pressure and so on. So uh, Wach said... Go for three years or five years, um, go get experience and then you come back. And then I just never went back because this news bug just bit me and I've been in news since, ever since. So what is it that makes you want to get up and investigate these things? Because you know you're going to uncover some sometimes very unpleasant stuff and you're going to be mm-hmm. dealing with very unpleasant people. And there are going to be obstacles to you discovering the truth because people often don't want the truth discovered it's going to land some of them in prison mm, eventually. Exactly. We can only hope if Shamila Batoy gets her act together. I mean, if it does happen that way, and even if you just embarrass them publicly, which is what mm. a lot of this does, mm. it can sometimes lead to some very messy situations. So how do you find the motivation to wake up in the morning and go and research these things and go and investigate these things? Are it's you just hard. curious as hell? I am curious as hell. I And I, it's also for the love of the puzzle. I love sort of um, sit, sitting with this problem, figuring it out, and in the end, says, yes, I've got that. It, it clicked, you know, the moment that you get a piece of information that makes this whole theory come to life and that you can actually prove it. Um, it's a fantastic feeling if you if you can, if you're able to do that. The underlying motivation, though, is that um, I'm an African. I want to stay here. This is my country. And we need some help. We need some light to be shone on the facts. And um, we're not going to get there if some people don't stand up and say, okay, I'll do the work. Mm-hmm. And then for each story, there's a different motivation. For the VBS thing, I will never forget those pictures and the stories of the people and it's um, grannies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're older than my mother who are sitting outside the bank on the stoop. Trying to get, um, trying to withdraw some money. When we heard that the bank was imploding, they all went there. Some of them sat right through the night, and it was fairly cold. And they had, they were wrapped in blankets, and they slept outside on on these um, porches. And I just thought I would know, or I know exactly how my mother would feel if she lost, let's say, three hundred thousand rand. She can't. She don't know what happened to it. She mm-hmm. put it in a bank. No one is explaining to her what happened. She needs to sleep outside of the bank to get her money back, yeah. and there's just no certainty. And I will never. For, that is that is a, a, a driver, a big driver for me, is to say, but it's unfair. It's people who are very vulnerable. These people don't have anyone standing up for them. And that the political parties who actually put their hands up and said, we'll stand up for you, were the ones who robbed them. Sure. So somewhere we should say, this is not okay. And we, fellow South Africans, should, should make our voice be heard. 
Now, you, you also spent uh, five years working on the SARS situation, and you managed to shine a spotlight on Tom Moyane, who had been the commissioner at the time. And SARS always had been this 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 part of government that had really worked well mm. until he came in. And it was probably largely due to some of the investigations that you did that he eventually got fired and a commission of inquiry into SARS was initiated. Yes. And that's amazing. Yeah, I was very proud of that. So when the um, it, at the end, the commission of inquiry was initiated, the draft questions were based on the stories that we've written and based on the things that we've uncovered, um, Daily Maverick specifically and, and my story specifically. So it was a very proud moment and I was very happy for it because when Tom Iani came in in September 2014, he started decimating the investigative capacity. He started um, running campaigns against certain people that he viewed as anti uh, the Zuma or the, the president of, of the time, um, President Zuma and anti uh, a certain faction in the ANC mm-hmm. um, and he shielded the Guptas from scrutiny he shielded um, the cigarette smugglers from scrutiny and we could see it in our figures our tax figures um, and we could see how what he's done has really um, sort of done the country in and it was, a, it was a good feeling at the end after five years to say okay now we have results have you been paying attention to what's going on at SARS now? yeah and and what is your kind of top level insight into that? So uh, we know that um, the public protector Mkwabani has received a letter from SARS. But I can also say, and SARS can't say this, but they've sent the similar letters to other people. Um, and maybe over time that will come out. Um, but it's not only that there's, or Ms. Mkwabani would like to say that she's targeted. She's not. She's one of a few who received. What did they send her a letter about? So to reveal her tax affairs and oh, to her own you know, personal tax yes, affairs. Yes, oh, right. From around 2010, 2011. So it's an in-depth order telling us, bring it all. We want to see because there's a few red flags. And you say there might be a lot of other people who've received similar letters from definitely SARS. they were, if and they're now being called in to account for themselves. Yes, some of these politically connected people and so absolutely on. Um, mm. who were involved in Transnet um, corruption, SARS corruption, state capture corruption. So we are moving in the right way in terms of SARS, and it seems as if they're rebuilding that capacity. Um, and from all the sort of state-owned entities that I've seen, they have made the biggest stride so far. Wow. Um, and, and that could mean, uh, obviously, SARS are hungry for some tax at the moment because we, yes. we're running at a loss uh, as a country. <laughs> we're in deficit, and they're trying to recoup some of the 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 huge amounts that they've lost over the years because of people mm. who've been basically immunized to tax through their political connections. Exactly. And through the help of Tom Moyani, yeah. shielding them from scrutiny. Where's Tom Moyani in all of this? Did he get away scot-free? So there was this uh, commission of inquiry and he was um, ousted out of source because of that. Yeah. And now we're sitting again with Shamila Batoy, as you mentioned, that she needs to initiate certain prosecutions. And if she can find anything about on Tamuyani, and there's a lot, um, that she can prove, um, they should take it to court and to criminal court specifically. Yeah. I think a lot of people are just sitting around reading stories that journalists like you have written. And getting frustrated by the fact that there is all this information out there, which on a prima facie basis is enough to at least start some prosecutions. Mm. And we're just seeing nothing happening. It's almost as if Shamila Batoy is frozen in inaction. 
it's just it's unbelievable and i think that's frustrating to people because if you don't pay your tax as poli van Vaken, and if i don't pay my tax and if Mbulelo doesn't and Leanne doesn't, we, it immediately mm. gets flagged and we get called in and we have to pay and there are penalties and all kinds of things kick into action. But it seems that some of these people who are sometimes in arrears in quite a devastating way, nothing's happening. Yeah. And we need to recreate these structures in order to, to, to hold them to account. Mm. And there's always sort of those political affiliations. And again, it's not as if it's, um, party specific. It's sort of this thing that g- grows across party lines that mm. we shield each other and that it's only in parliament and at our rallies and in front of our supporters that we seem to be different. But there's, there's no real difference. They all have these same type of goals in mind and those goals are only themselves in their own pockets. Yeah. So tell me, how did your life change from the point of view of, of all of these investigations and your own personal safety and the stuff we, sto- we, we were talking about at the beginning? Did you have friends who didn't want to be around you anymore? <laughs> did you have family who were avoiding you? I mean, it was almost as if you had the coronavirus, I'm sure, at one point. Or not. So my friends, um, there's this apartheid story of, of activists who had a, a sort of a placard saying, um, this guy doesn't live here. So, so when the apartheid forces would come and they would raid the block of, of, of buildings or, um, flats, they would, you know, there would be this thing on, on the front door saying that this guy that you're looking for is not here. So they said, now they're going to do the same with me. <laughs> Pauli van Vake is not living here. <laughs> Just in case people came after you. Yeah. Shame. Sure. No, but they were very supportive and I had a lot of messages of support and saying, and, and from, from strangers as well. Um, people sending emails to Daily Maverick and, and private messages saying that we really appreciate it. Um, people from all walks of life saying thank mm. you that you're speaking for us. And that helps a lot. It's a, that's a good driver as well. Have you met some of these, these people from the VBS scandal who've been defrauded? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's very sad. And you, are you in regular communication with some of them? Yeah. Ugh. So we try, and we try to shield the communication so we're very careful about how we do it but they continuously tell us their stories and their struggles and and often you can't do anything about it because it's very personal then i would have to say gareth cliff tells me this about his life and this is why he is in down in the dumps at the moment so but often you just sort of commiserate and say sorry man i'm i'm really doing my best on a higher level to to get you some justice yeah tell me quickly about henley to go back to your mba that you're doing um, the the experience of doing this is obviously very very different to journalism. Um, mm. Are you enjoying the academic stuff? Are you enjoying doing these case studies and these and these uh, investigations of that kind? I am. It's very interesting, and it's a it's different subjects. So it's it's never monotonous or or um, repeat, repetitive at all. So I've just finished a um, an assignment for financial management, which was so interesting um, because that's anything from a micro to macroeconomic level to the market and right through to the company's statements, um, their bank statements and their their financial statements. So to do that on that level where you actually sort of manage the business is extremely interesting and at the moment i'm busy with an hr subject so it ranges from from um sort of interests and and how um you know how different sort of sectors and different viewpoints into one business and i think one of the great things of henley is that you can uh, build all of these capacities while investigating your own company yeah Um, i i think it would be terrific if we could have more journalists educated in basic economics too because it would help us to not 
see so many nonsense articles written about how the free market's bad and government mm. is better and we need more government and we need more regulation and all these mm. things that you see in publications where they really are paying low-rent journalists to write stories mm. just based on their opinions. It's also about ideology, right? So yeah. if you have a, a communism background or a socialist background or a capitalist background, that would influence your writing. Mm. Um, I mean, we've discussed this um, over the past year a lot. Um, look at how Minister Pravin Gordon's background influences his decisions. Absolutely. He was an excellent Minister of, of Treasury, but now, or Minister of Finance, but now we're thinking, you know, is he as good as he, he can be um, also, at public works? And in the land of the blind, the one-eyed is king. I mean, amongst mm. all those other ministers, he looks like he's good just because he doesn't have his hands in everyone else's pockets. Exactly. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make him a brilliant minister. Yeah, <laughs> and no, you're right. Doesn't. Like his background is a solid stalwart communist. Yes. And maybe he just likes the idea of a capable state. Mm, and, and state-owned enterprises, absolutely. right? So no privatization. No. Now, if you... If you um, have so many examples of communism not working and where you <laughs> no, have... They just so didn't do it right, Polly. <laughs> we can reinvent the wheel, yes. Gareth. Come on, it's just you are the missing ingredient. You know, Obviously, I can do communism better. Yeah. Um, Pravin is the right guy. <laughs> so, so sometimes it's difficult telling someone that, yes, capitalism is not necessarily great and there's gaps in there. Sure. But if you do it right and if there's strong feedback loops and if there are strong um, hawks and police and national prosecuting authorities that you don't have um, and that there are repercussions for wrong deeds capitalism can actually work quite well where communism hasn't worked anywhere. Well I think that the the record is over the last hundred years that more people have been brought out of poverty by capitalism and the free market than anything else and Mm. it seems to be the best way for people who are in a miserable state in places like Cuba, North Korea, the former Soviet Union, and other countries that have implemented these uh, very state-centric operations that never seem to have traffic going into them. They always have traffic going out, trying to escape those systems. just seems to me that that argument's already been won and put to bed, but there are still people who hold a candle for it. Mm. Anyway, I don't want to get into a whole capitalist-communist argument with you because (laughs) I, I think that we're probably on the same side. I also think it's terrific that you are a great example of what uh, Henley can do and what you can do for for the the, the, the investigations, the, 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 the kind of career that you have in journalism, backed up by an MBA from Henley and being able to study things that will um, not only enlighten you but also the people who read everything that you write from here on in. You can go and find out more by going to Henley. You can check in on one of their 15 international campuses and offices all over the world, there are 8,000 students across the globe, 18 countries represented by faculty, and 78,000 alumni in their network. The Henley MBA is from the only international business school accredited in South Africa, as your MBA is from a leading, respected, internationally triple accredited business school. You get recognized wherever you are in the world, ensuring your global future. So, Polly, thank you very much for spending some time with us this morning. It's always good to talk to you, and especially about things that aren't just regarding the investigations that you're doing. Please keep up the hard work. Thank you. Yes, it's such a pleasure to be here always. Thank you. Polly van Veek. Meet the Mind. Brought to you by Henley Business School. Only on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.